Getting a Dark Sky Sight on episode 282 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up the night sky and this podcast is for anybody else who likes going out under the stars. So Shane, in this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about my experience in buying property with observing in mind. Yes. Well, um, you know, so just a quick sidebar before we get into this, Go for it. <laughs> my wife and I have owned three different houses in our mm-hmm. lifetime together. And, um, it's a stressful time when you're making a big decision like that. And the first two, we just sort of, you know, we went out, bought those ones, but then for the third one, you know, we learned a lot about what we want and don't want. And we said, let's make a list of deal breakers that, you know, if we find a house and there's a deal breaker, then, you know, the list makes the decision and it's not us getting frustrated with each other sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So we thought great idea. One of the things that was a deal breaker for me was I need to be able to do astronomy in the backyard. You know, mm-hmm. I need to be able to see the South, preferably also the East, mm-hmm. uh, and there can't be any lights that ruin that. Mm-hmm. So we had looked at at least 40 houses all of them had issues and we finally found the perfect house. In fact, it checked a bunch of the nice to have boxes. Mm-hmm. The problem was there was only one place to observe the Southern sky and right at the foot of the property was a big, bright streetlight. Yeah. So I just said to my wife, well, I, that's a deal breaker. So we <laughs> can't buy this house. And, um, I don't think she was too happy with me, but, uh, anyway, <laughs> the list, the list helped the list saved and, you. And, um, you know, I, the, like even for just my, my residence, my primary residence, you know, it fig factoring in astronomy was part of that decision. So I'm yeah. super curious about your process, uh, when you picked your dark sky location. Yeah. Well, that, that's some pretty, that's some pretty good relationship advice. I gotta say <laughs> that's that. No, no, I'm, I'm, I know it's kind of funny, but I think that's smart. Like, like yeah. create like a set of criteria and then, and then, you know, agree to that criteria. And this, this works at, this works at work too, with your, mm-hmm. your, you know, your colleagues and, you know, work relationships too. I think that that's a pretty smart approach, Shane. I gotta say hats off to you on that one. Well, thanks, Chris. And you've been married many years. So you're, you're somebody that knows what he's, what he's doing at this point mm-hmm. or you've, yeah. <laughs> I, I can still learn. I can still learn. All right. In this episode, we're going to talk about my observing property experience. And uh, also as a reminder, we're having um, a draw for our Patreon supporters. Um, we're going to give away, uh, I think we have like four or five handbooks. We have two or three calendars, Shane. Just depends on a few different factors on what happens here. But but we've got at least six. And I think uh, we have about 60 supporters or just under. So you have about a one in six chance of winning one of these things, I think. Yeah, that's pretty good odds. <laughs> pretty, um, yeah. pretty good. Yeah, good stuff. All right. And if people want to support us, they can go to patreon.com slash actual astronomy. We'll be emailing winners around the new year. So um, getting started, though, uh, I wanted to read an email from a listener first, because uh, I've been writing a little bit with uh, Tyler. And he also has uh, like a cottage cabin dark sky area that he can get off to. So it's not just me. This is this is pretty common amongst amateur astronomers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just going to read a little bit of his uh, observing report experience and what it's like to actually have a place because I think he captures it uh, a little bit better than what I did and, and when I set out to, to write this. So uh, Tyler writes, uh, Hi Chris and Shane, I had a really good observing session last week and I wanted to share it. 
Last Tuesday, the report was, I guess the weather report was calling for very good seeing and transparency. So I packed up my gear and headed to my dark sky site at my family's ranch about 45 minutes away in the very southwestern corner of Missouri. On the way up, I listened to one of your older episodes about dark adaptation, which seemed apropos for the night. I arrived at 7 p.m. well after full dark and did some naked eye and binocular observing while letting my telescope cool. Even before my eyes adjusted, I had a great view of the Milky Way and the view just kept getting better and better throughout the night. While I observe at the site periodically, this was the best night of transparency I have ever had. Features like the great rift in the Milky Way were obvious, but more than that, I started to see a lot more fine detail. The Milky Way looked like a billowing cloud with a lot of light and dark texture. With some really nice Zeiss 8x42 binoculars I had borrowed from a family member, I had some stunning panning views up and down the Milky Way. It is shocking just how, the star, how many stars there are there. I had a good view of Barnard's E, the Heart and Soul Nebulae, and the North American Nebula. I was especially excited to make my first observation of the Pelican Nebula which was on my priority list for the night, and to get the North American Nebula naked eye. I also enjoyed watching algal change in brightness throughout the observing session. After this, I turned my telescope, a 90mm Maksudov, to hunt down some galaxies. My first targets were NGC 147 and 185, two largest ninth magnitude companions of the Andromeda Galaxy. These galaxies are up in Cassiopeia. NGC 147 was definitely the brighter of the two and stood out as a bright ellipse, even without averted vision. NGC 185 was similar in appearance, but required averted vision to show up clearly. Next up was NGC 891, which is a razor-thin edge-on spiral galaxy that was also excellent even without averted vision. After this, I moved south to a few galaxies and set us. NGC's 584, 596, and 615, which were smaller, but also fairly easy to see with the great conditions. At this, at this point, do set in on my eyepieces, so I did some binocular observing while I let them warm back up. The binoculars gave me the best views I have ever had of the Andromeda Galaxy, which extended almost half of the field. Wow. M110, the Andromeda's second companion galaxy, was diffuse but bright, and extended quite further than I had ever seen it before. The binoculars also gave great views of M78, which is just above the belt of Orion, and that's a little reflection nebula, and he saw it as an irregular oval with a bright center. I also took the opportunity to split a few binocular doubles, including Zeta Lyrae, a nearly even pair, and Alberio, which is always a stunning colorful double. I switched back to the telescope for a few more views to cap off the night. I hunted down the Skull Nebula in Cetus, but didn't realize I had found it until I pulled up some sketches online when I got home. It did not look at all like I expected, and I thought for sure that I was looking at an open cluster of 11, 11th magnitude stars that I couldn't quite resolve. At this point, it was nearly time for me to head back home, but I couldn't resist a look at the Great Orion Nebula just rising in the east. I had never realized before just how much detail and structure was visible, and it proved a great way to finish off the night. I left feeling both inspired and grateful, in awe at the design of the universe. All the best, Tyler. 
Well, thanks for the detailed report, Tyler. That was uh, that was pretty cool, eh, Shane? Yeah, great observing report. Fun, fun to read. Yeah, and those must be really good skies. And I think yeah. Tyler is a pretty darn good observer because I remember what it took us. I don't know if you're familiar with NGC 891, but it's one of those galaxies on the charts. It looks like this one is going to be fairly easy, but that galaxy is more challenging than the magnitude um, denotes because mm -hmm. it's it's large. It's it's an extended object. I don't know the size of it. I didn't look it up or anything. Um, but I remember our first views of it were from like uh, a Bortle One sky in a in an eight inch telescope because we weren't able to get it from like our Bortle Four uh, site. And so I know that uh, that a ninety millimeter or you know a three and a half inch telescope um, at a darker site now will show that uh, a little bit. Uh, Perhaps a little bit better than than what an eight inch will show under under a lesser sky. So that is uh, that's quite the observation. Yeah, yeah, for sure it is. That's uh, that that's an interesting galaxy too, with how thin it is. Like he said, razor thin, and uh, you know that's that's a good one to have in the observation log as as um, you know a, a, a good accomplishment to be proud of. Yeah, thanks thanks for that, Tyler. Really enjoy the uh, observing report. And Shane, before we move on, uh, I'm just going to, you know, put a bit of a call out to the listeners. If uh, if you've made it this far in the podcast and enjoy hearing examples of people's observing, because this is one of the things that I know that I struggled with when I was getting going. And I know that you've talked about this as well, is that until you hear sort of step by step how somebody does an observing session, and it's really interesting to hear other people's observing sessions, it's, it's sometimes difficult to, you know, know how to carry forward your own observing, or maybe if you've been observing for a while, where you can go with your observing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good comment for sure. All right. So if you do enjoy these type of things, share it in your astronomy circle of friends or clubs or whatever else you belong to in an online forum or something and let people know, because I think this is about it for podcasts on um, visual observing. There's just nothing else out there like this. We don't really have that many listeners, but it's really great to have more listeners and to get more observing reports from people like Tyler. Mm -hmm. Okay. So... This is uh, this is a bit of a, an email here from Michael in Raleigh, North Carolina. Michael's a, a Patreon supporter and had uh, had recently begun supporting us through Patreon. We appreciate that. And then he came forward with uh, with a show idea here, Shane. And I was thinking maybe um, maybe what we could do is just get you to to kind of read it, and then I put a bit of a Q and A down below. Yeah, sounds good. So. Uh, Michael writes, uh, Hey, Chris and Shane, here's an idea for an episode that I think a lot of people would find interesting. Many of us astronomers dream of having an observatory or cabin in a dark location. For me, a night of observing means loading and unloading the car twice, three or more hours of driving round trip, bringing everything I could possibly need with me and no options for warming up other than the car. Whether the night ends in a cold tent or with a quiet drive uh, through the wee hours, I often find myself looking at real estate ads the next day. <laughs> uh, 
Chris, since you have such a cabin, I think it would be great to hear about your experience with it. Maybe you can give us listeners some advice for what to look for, for when thinking about buying or building such a property, or at a minimum, we could live vicariously through your stories of how nice it must be to have a comfortable shelter, some supplies, and maybe even some astronomy gear, all of it ready and waiting for you just to show up. Um, so that was Michael's email and then you had a response to him and, uh, some, uh, like you said, we'll do a little bit of a Q and a here to, to go through some of the, uh, steps that you went through, I guess, in purchasing. Yeah. So thanks for that uh, email, Michael. Um, and, and just so you and others know, like, like this is a really basic cabin. And, um, in fact, we originally, and, and Shane, you'll remember this originally I was looking for land and I was just mm -hmm. going to put like either nothing or a camper on it or get like a prefab shed and insulate it and just have a warm room there. That, that was my original plan. I think you might recall from years and years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Just something very basic and, and, you know, meeting all of the kind of astronomical requirements. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and people also have to understand that. And, and I do realize that kind of in a way, like we're, we're fortunate where we are, where, um, property prices are different wherever you live. I know we've had folks in uh, in places where I'm thinking property is pretty darn expensive for any little piece of land in uh, some places in the world. And we live in a place where, um, you know, a nice small piece of dark sky property um, can be around the same price as a decent uh, little backyard telescope, but nothing real fancy. So that's kind of, that's kind of where we're at here, just so people kind of know, know the context. So, um, yeah, so maybe we'll just uh, just skip down to to the Q the Q and A here. I think I pretty much answer everything in the in the Q and A. So Shane, are you able to find the first? I put Q yeah. for the questions yep. and A for the answers. <laughs> yep. So Chris, how did you come to have the cabin? Well, we looked for we looked seriously for four years, and we looked at a lot of places before buying. And kind of like Shane was saying. We made a criteria list. I'd actually observed in a nearby area, and I'll add this, a slightly more expensive area, and this, and I knew I wanted to face south, the place that I'd been observing at, at a friend's place and doing some public outreach at, faced predominantly north, and it was fine. It's a nice area. In fact, um, some of the places over there are really nice and fancy, but um, if we were moving full-time, I think it would have been a, a hard decision. But whereas we were looking for a place that would satisfy the need as a very simple cabin and, uh, and to do some astronomy, uh, I knew it wanted to face south. So that was closer to the city, uh, slightly better. Um, I guess there was uh, different choices in, in property and, uh, and maybe a little bit more expensive. And so where we end up going was a little bit less expensive and had better, uh, better south facing. And to be frank, I really like just, just like that regular kind of cabin, regular kind of country uh, area anyway, if I'm going to have like a second place. So yeah, four years and uh, yeah, we end up uh, buying a place there. So yeah, we can go to the next question. Yeah. So did you acquire it for astronomy or did you luck into an astronomy cabin some other way? I really, it's 50, 50, only 50, uh, because I bought it with my wife. And so, uh, she had maybe, uh, not as much interest in the astronomical aspects with, with this one caveat, which is that, um, she was always really worried that I would hit an animal when I was out driving around at night. I ironically, I've, the only animal I've ever hit 
was, uh, w- you know, of any significance was, uh, was a deer when we were just driving back uh, to the cabin on one of the few uh, nights we've gone out to, to somebody's place that lived on the other side of the lake. So <laughs> a little bit, little bit of irony there. But uh, yeah, so I wanted to get a, just originally just a dark sky place to do astronomy from with, uh, with my friends or by myself or whatever, because um, our club here had a head or has a dark sky set. I'm not really sure. And it didn't really suit my needs. It was um, a fair distance away and there was a lot of bright lights around in your highway. It just didn't, didn't really work out for my observing. And so, like I said, originally I was looking for land and um, this, this cabin I'd actually picked out for the spot and I just had dropped myself into this area um, as, as a pretty good spot to get started. Um, I guess it was two years ago and we've been looking for about two years and I'd looked at a lot of different places and it turned out like this spot that I just kind of picked as being sort of a pretty good spot was for sale. It was a vacant lot and next to it was um, uh, the associated cabin with that property. So it came as a bundle uh, and then they eventually just sort of combined it in, into one property before we uh, before we bought it. So, like I said, originally I was just looking for land, not even a cabin, and then this this ended up being a, a perfect combination. And uh, yeah, it just just worked out while I was looking for a place that was semi-arid. And this place is it's it's a very dry area, so when it rains, and we do get rains, um, but the the land that I bought is a place that has like a lot of cactus and sage and that on it, and so it drains really well. And so you, you can go up and observe right after a big rainstorm and your feet aren't really getting uh, too wet. And then uh, the cottage or the cabin is just about 50 feet away and it's in a little bit of a green belt. So uh, kind of kind of a good spot. So it took about a year to buy the place because there were some property challenges and they were doing some stuff there. And originally I just wanted a dark sky site I could dump a shed on, maybe put a camper on uh, to sleep out at in, in the summer. But uh, but yeah, we, we ended up... Uh, you know, having a discussion at home and my wife said, well, she had kind of always wanted to get a cabin by a lake. And uh, she said, look, considering you're not even that interested in getting an observatory, um, why don't we just, you know, sort of combine our ideas here and combine our funds and, and actually get a place sooner than later. And, and that's what we did. Yeah. Awesome. Um, have there been surprises and a uh, two part question. So ha- have there been surprises and what are the lesser known downsides or challenges? Bugs. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of bugs out there. Uh, the place has more bugs than I ever could have dreamed or maybe nightmared of. And have you ever seen a camel cricket, Shane? Mm, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what they look like. So maybe Well, maybe you're not. lucky. You're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, yeah, we have, there's a variety of crickets and other things and, and they get in the cottage mm-hmm. and or the cabin and so I, I had to very quickly learn how to trap these things and whatever but uh but it's fine and my wife isn't really that squeamish of bugs she's you know uh she she is uh somebody who spent a lot more of her life camping than i did so i'm a little bit more squeamish of bugs than she is fortunately and so for me um yeah i the bugs kind of bother me a little bit but she's not bothered at all by bugs. So it's, we get through it. It's all good. Everybody has a different level of tolerance. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really old cabin. It's, uh, seven, about 75 years old and, um, yeah, there's some challenges with it. It's, it's a bit slanted and I thought that would be easy to get fixed. That's not been easy to get fixed. Um, some of the things that were surprised, we were told that there would be mice 
And for some unknown reason, there's a cat or a couple cats that come just like uh, wild, uh, feral, regular house cats, but they're feral. And they, they come up and they walk around our property at night, even now in the cold of winter and it snows. And if I go up there this afternoon, there'll be a little set of tiny little kitten tracks or cat tracks around the place. And I've never seen a mouse anywhere. I saw one in the in the yard once right before a cat sprang out of nowhere and uh, and took care of it so there's that uh, some of the other surprises were i thought i would easily be able to get internet there um, and that wasn't as easy to do so when we got the place i thought oh, i'll get internet in and i called the internet provider which you know quite well shane and uh and they actually couldn't run internet there so um end up taking about uh, uh an, another summer to to get that in than i would have thought and uh, let's see, the other, the other surprise that I had, so uh, Michael had, had detailed out like his challenge, which is packing all the gear and then going observing and then packing it back up again. Well, the challenge that I have is that, so I'm not spending that extra half hour or, or an hour uh, packing up and then half hour or an hour driving but I spend way more time setting up my gear. So I have a, a large collection of gear and what I would do before is simply just decide what I was gonna take out that night. So the way that I work now is I simply just spend about two hours setting up gear. So sometimes I'll start setting up gear before dinner, we'll have dinner, I'll continue setting up gear, you know, and you've come out there, Shane, and said, it looks like there's a mini star party going on on my hill, eh? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so, so I end up spending, this has surprised me, is that I end up spending almost the exact same amount of time dedicated to, to the observing session, both set up and tear down, um, as I did before in packing the car and driving out to a site and setting it up and then tearing it down at the end of the night. The advantage here is that it's, um, it's sort of um, like spread out over a longer period of time. So I can do a little... And then we can have dinner and then I can do a little more and then I can make some observing um, in twilight and think, oh yeah, tonight is really good for planets. So I'm going to go and bring out my planetary. I'm going to go back in and get those and then fiddle around with adapters and filter. So I end up, I end up killing as much time. There's, there's zero time saving. In fact, I think I spend way more time setting up and tearing down than I ever did uh, packing the car and driving out to observing sites. I'm going to say that. So I need an observatory. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Next question. Yeah, next one. Uh, what advice would you give to someone who wanted to have an astronomy home away from home? Yeah, so I knew from my driving that it had to be just at least under an hour. So I didn't want to be driving mm -hmm. an hour or more. And um, I thought about this quite a bit. Originally, when I was looking, I was looking at maybe um, really between like a three and a half or maybe a four and a half hour drive. Um, but I'm so glad we stuck closer to home because getting it up and running and being able to get out there, just duck out there and observe. Sometimes I go out there and I'll just observe in an evening and like I did last weekend and then come home or sometimes, um, you know, during the middle of the week, I'll go out, I'll set up, I'll observe for an hour, I'll go to bed, I'll sleep for three or four hours, I'll get up and do a couple hours of observing, pack all my stuff away, and then drive in and, and just go straight to work. So I'm able to to do lots of stuff like that. If I was, you know, more than an hour, that just wouldn't happen. So it means I, I get a lot more observing in than just vacations or long, long weekends. 
Um, and then I, and then like kind of Michael referenced, I have food and all kinds of other stuff out there. So I can be, uh, I can go out and, and eat and then set up and observe without having to, to figure out all those, uh, kind of logistics. Okay. Nice. Next question. Yeah. yeah. Uh, recently on the podcast, I think you briefly mentioned that you're able to do some other non-astronomy activities at the cabin. Uh, how important or valuable has that been, uh, to use the place for other purposes? Should we be eyeing the spots in the middle of the desert or swampland with few other redeeming qualities, or should we look for a place suitable for mixed use? So I would say go for mixed use. And, and that's because originally I was looking at the far off middle of the desert type places, like for real, like down Southwest here in Saskatchewan, it is more desert. Like it is a little bit better for astronomy. So if you were living there like full-time hundred percent, I know people who do, um, you would definitely get more clearer nights, more better nights, and it's further south, so you get slightly more dark in the summer, and it's not quite as cold in the winter. So there's a lot of really redeeming qualities uh, about doing that. But um, I would be balancing like sort of my family life with my observing life. I would only be going down there just to observe, and maybe my wife would come down a bit, but there's there's not really that much down there for her. She wanted to be near some water, um, wanted to be uh, near uh, some trees. So uh, here where we live, if you go down to the Southwest, there's not as many trees around there. It's pretty open sort of uh, desert-like landscape um, with, with fields and buttes, and there might be some stanza trees, but where we are, there's actually like some nice um, green greenery around like in the fall and in the winter, we can, we can see the lake, but in the summer we get so much uh, lilac and, uh, and green ash trees and some Siberian, um, elms that, uh, that you really can't see any of the water right, right from where our place is. It's all just, you look at any window and you can only see like 10 or 15 feet because it's just like trees and, and, uh, beautiful bushes and stuff like that. So, so that's quite nice. We end up doing a lot of walking and hiking around like every day. Typically we go for uh, nice long walks and then it's two or three times a day. Cause it's just really nice to be out. And it's also nice to be in a community. Like we walk around, there's like lots of really nice folks around. And if I'd gone down to the Southwest, I probably would have just got a place out in the middle of nowhere. There wouldn't have been any, any community and, and actually meeting people and getting to know some of the people around. Um, that was like sort of a thing that I hadn't really expected, but I've really, really enjoyed uh, the aspect of, of getting to know some of my neighbors and people that live in the community. It's, it's really nice to walk around and have sort of some informal chats and, uh, you know, as well, like I, and, and this is sort of the unexpected thing was maybe find some folks to help me build an observatory. So that's, that's like an added benefit, right? So yeah, yeah. it's one of those things like that was sort of an unexpected benefit. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that pans out next year. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a small beach, um, and there's some other beaches around. Sometimes we drive around to the other beaches and, uh, yeah, it's just, just really nice. Um, we also will go out there and we both, my wife and I both do a lot of writing and it's nice to be able to go out there and write. And I'm a very loud person and she is a very not loud person. And so sometimes she'll go out there to work because sometimes when I'm in the house and maybe Shane and I are recording or I'm writing. And when I work through stuff, I like to sort of talk it through, um, whether it's, you know, with Shane or whether it's with somebody else or get on the phone with friends and I'm just a loud person, you know, a lot of banging and blah, blah, blah. Um, and she needs quiet to do her work and to do her writing. So sometimes she'll just take off and go out there and work. And that was sort of unexpected as well. We didn't think that would happen as much. And so we're actually going to modify the place a little bit to be better suited uh, for that next year as as well. So it's a place that is suited us a little bit better for uh, just hanging out at. 
being in nature as well as the astronomy as well as actually doing uh some of the work that, that we do so um yeah in fact i write most of the episodes for the podcast out there um even up to now sometimes i'll go out there just for an afternoon and and just write the podcast notes so i, I quite enjoy it awesome right. yeah so next one here uh what kind and or quantity of observing are you able to do that wouldn't be possible without the cabin yeah, that's a good question. And it actually reveals why I wanted a cabin, like more importantly than an observatory in the end. And that's proved out. So I like to get up in the middle of the night to observe. I know, Shane, you're not as much into this. And I know a lot of people aren't. But I like to uh, go out even on a work night and maybe set up and maybe I'll do like an hour or so of observing and then I'll go to bed. I'll get about three or four hours sleep and I'll set my alarm for like two or 3 a.m. I'll get up and I'll do a few hours of observing. Sometimes I'll sleep for another couple hours and then go into work and I'm able to do that there. So um, I can get a lot more observing in that way. And then additionally, like this summer, and it was just really fortunate because I didn't get the time off approved that I wanted. I end up getting like the next set of 10 days off. So we have to take so many days, but we can only take it during such and such a time. And I couldn't take it off. I wanted to go to the star party, couldn't go to the star party because I couldn't get those days approved off. But I got the next set. And of course, like usually when you get your vacation moved around like that, it's not ideal with the moon. And it wasn't, there was going to be a little bit of moon in the sky, but uh, it ended up being clear seven out of the 10 days. And I was, I was able to, uh, you know, maybe look at the moon for 15 or 20 minutes at night, go to bed at like nine o'clock, get up at uh, midnight or one o'clock and observe uh, to my heart's content in the morning. So um, just end up being uh, pretty good. Let's see. Uh, the sky actually also ended up being a little bit darker than the light pollution map showed. And uh, so that was another bit of luck. And then this year they traded out the uh, Cobra headlights for full cutoff LEDs. And because I'm up on a hill, um, I can't really see the LED lights because they're full cut off and they face down. So you can kind of sort of see some of their light or maybe if there's one that's not quite angled properly, you can see a little bit of light. But basically, um, a lot of nights, there's not even an external light that you can you can see from my hilltop, which has like a full um, about 200 degree field of view to the south from almost due east to, to due west. Um, yeah, it's quite good. Okay, we can go to the next one. Sure. Uh, and this is the last one, I oh. believe. Um, how, or sorry, have you thought about having a larger uh, scope that you could leave there full time? Yeah, I have. I almost bought a 16 inch, but decided against it. It's just, I just can't figure out how to get it to work yet. And my plan is to get my 12 inch going maybe next year or the year after, uh, we'll see. Um, but it's, yeah, for me, it's about just being able to get out and use the gear that I have more and that's kind of what i'm gonna hopefully get an observatory built around i have quite a bit of gear like these like my five inch refractor doesn't get as much use it's light but it's just big and then i i would love to just get that mounted up permanently and then i also have like a six inch maxutov which doesn't really give as good views but i just it's just fun to have different telescopes i have all these weird and wacky telescopes that i've collected over the years and uh, it would be nice just to sort of have them all uh, in one spot together versus inside the cabin, I kind of have to tuck them away here and tuck them away there because it's not very big, but, uh, yeah, I'd like to like to get all those going, but yeah, maybe one day I'll have like, ideally like a, for me, like a 16 inch would be sort of the maximum limit, uh, just because of like wide field of view. And so if you go much over a 16 inch, uh, even a 12 inch, you can start to feel like the view is kind of closing in a bit. So 
So that's kind of it, uh, Shane. Maybe uh, just uh, say thanks to Michael uh, for his suggestion. We appreciate your your Patreon support. And uh, for those thinking they may want uh, an observatory one day, um, I think thinking about getting uh, just a dark spot and a place where you can get warmed up, um, that's, that's sort of the key for me. Like I can go out observing last weekend, it was minus six or whatever it was. And I got the place warmed up nice and nicely and set my gear up, go in and I can stay warm. I can go out, I can do a sketch, do some observing. My hand starts getting a little bit cold cause I have no gloves on at minus six. And, um, you know, you can put your gloves back on, but it's really hard to warm those hands back up. And so then I just go back inside, warm up. And then uh, after five or 10 minutes, I'm good to go again and, and back out and can do another sketch and do some more observing. Yeah, that sounds awesome. All right. Any any questions you might have, Shane? I hope that sort of answers some of Michael's anyway. Yeah, nothing really for me. Um, you know, I think it's a, it's a really nice uh, option to have. And, you know, for me, uh, one of the key things uh, was addressed in one of the questions is like the multi-use thing. Um, it, it would be, you know, for me, if, you know, I, I've, this is always in the back of my mind too, of purchasing a, a second property. Um, and while astronomy would be on my criteria list, there's, you know, it's nice to have other things that it, or other um, benefits that it provides, you know, like you said, just yeah. going out there for the peace and quiet to get into nature um, and, and to have other uh, outdoorsy things that, um, you know, this maybe opens up to you and, and, uh, that's super intriguing to me for sure. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, be sure to subscribe and send this out to uh, any of your observing buddies. If you think there's people out there that might be interested in this sort of uh, astronomy content. And uh, we're always happy to get your questions, observations, or dark sky observing reports to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thank you everyone for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>